go down to kids' church if they want to. We're continuing our series on the book of Psalms today, um, and if you aren't aware, uh, the book of Psalms is, is right in the middle of the Bible. It is a collection of prayers and poems and songs that were written by all sorts of different people, um, and uh, they were collected by the people of Israel and then used in order to worship God. They were used as, as songs to sing and worship, and so they give us a good idea of the sorts of thing that, things that God wants us to worship him for. Um, they give us a, a good idea of the words God wants us to use as we worship him and as we speak to him and respond to him. And uh, as I mentioned last week, I encourage you, as we go through this series, I encourage you to, to take every, every just you know, a few minutes every day to read through that psalm that we went through that past Sunday, or maybe as you want to look forward to the next Sunday, if you, the next Sunday we're going to go through Psalm 23, which I'm sure you're all pretty familiar with. But it would be a good exercise for you to just take a few minutes every day and read through Psalm 23 and, uh, and ask God to uh, show himself to you as you think about those verses as we anticipate next week. But this morning we're going to look at Psalm 8. We're going to look at Psalm 8. If you have a Bible, you can turn in your Bible to Psalm 8. If you don't have a Bible, it's printed in your order of worship and you can follow along there. But Psalm 8 was written by David, another psalm that was written by David. And uh, it's, um, it's, it's a little different than last week's psalm, than Psalm 5. It's, it's primarily a psalm of praise, of praising God for who he is and for all that he's made, and particularly the way that he has made people, men and women, and our role and how we are made to show his glory. Um, and so it gives us a really good uh, insight into the worth of God and also the worth of people, of you and me. So listen to God's word as I read from Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? For you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for giving us your word um, to help us to know you better, to help us understand what it means to live in relationship to you. And Father, we pray that you would take uh, this time now as we think about these words, this psalm, and that your spirit would open our ears, would open our minds, would open our hearts, and that you would help each and every single person to understand what you want to, what you want to say to them and to be changed. And we pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Our family has been living with a reminder of the imperfection of life for 23 years. Um, every year at Christmas time, when we get out the Christmas decorations, we are reminded of how imperfect life is. Um, you see, 24 years ago, 
uh, our son Titus was born, and uh, Kim was, was uh, due with Titus right in January, and, and, uh, and so um, Kim's mom offered to make him a Christmas stocking, um, and she made this, uh, this, this beautiful, classy Christmas, Christmas stocking. I, I brought it. I'm going to show it to you here. And no, it's, it's nice. It's nice. You don't have to laugh yet. Okay. So this is the one she made. It's, it's beautiful. It has the name on the top, right? It's really nice. Put a lot of work into that. Um, and so, uh, so that's, that's what she made for Titus. And then, and then um, the next year, Kim was pregnant with our second son, Silas. And my mom was like, I'd like to make a stocking for you guys as well, for, for Silas. And she's like, just, you know, I don't know exactly what you want, so why don't you just pick out, you know, a kit, and I'll get it, and then I can sew it, and, uh, and uh, that'll be, you know, it'll be nice to have, have another stocking for him. And, and so we picked out a kit for her to use to make a stocking. Um, and then she, she got it, and she made it, and then she gave it to us, and she was like, you know, I'm not, I wasn't totally sure as I was making this. It seemed, you know, I, 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 it just didn't seem totally right, but, um, but I made it because you picked it out. And, uh, and this is the one that she made, that my mom made for Silas. Okay. And so, I mean, so far, Kim and I have stockings as well, and they're very similar in size to this one. And everybody else in our family has a stocking now, too, and they're all similar in size to this one. But every Christmas, we hang all of our stockings, and Silas's stocking is just this mammoth thing. A reminder of the fact that it's important to pay attention to the details of, you know, just how big something is going to be, especially when you're making stockings, you know. Um, and so, you know, we're just reminded of, of how important it is to, to accurately assess the size of things in life. And that's a very minor thing. You know, it's, it's a silly thing. Um, but there are other things in life that it is crucial for us to um, take account just how big these things are, how small these things are. And I think that's what Psalm 8 does for us. Psalm 8 helps us to, to, to measure some things that are crucially important for us to, to be able to live lives that are whole and full and healthy. We need to know, uh, number one, it, it teaches us how big God is, first of all. It helps us to measure God. Um, the, this Psalm helps us to measure human beings, helps us to measure people. And lastly, it helps us to measure God's name. And, and you might be like, what are we talking about? We'll get to that in a minute. Um, so first of all, one thing that this psalm helps us to do, it helps us to, to measure God. It, it reminds us that God is bigger than any of us can conceive. It reminds us that God is bigger than any of us can conceive. Verse 1 says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And then it says, you have set your glory above the heavens. David is looking up in the heavens and he's thinking about the vast expanse of the sky, maybe the night sky, um, as we come down later, right? He says in verse 3, he says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, he's looking at creation, particularly the moon, the stars, all of these things, the, the vastness of the sky, and he recognizes it's all there because God put it there. It's all there because God used his fingers <laughs> to, to make them. Because God really spoke and it all came to be, is what Genesis 1 says. As, as David looks up at the night sky, as David looks up at, this, at these, this vast, huge thing that God has made, he realizes that God is bigger than that. That God is bigger 
than that. And, and, he, and he mentions the stars. And, and let me just, uh, just bring our, our attention to help us kind of think about this. The, the one star that we're most all familiar with, right, is the sun. The one that is closest to us, even though I think, is it something like 92 million miles away from us or something like that? I'm not totally sure. You can correct me later if you want. But it's far away, but it's, but it's the star that we're all, we all know, we're all familiar with. Um, think about how big the sun is. Um, Kim and I went to a Chris Tomlin concert like 20 years ago. I don't know if you, how many of you guys know Chris Tomlin. You probably are familiar with him, some of you. And uh, at this concert, it was, the, it was the indescribable tour when he, you know, he wrote the song Indescribable. We used to sing that song a lot about the greatness of God and how he's indescribable. And, and, um, and in the middle of that concert, this guy named Louis Giglio came out, a friend of Chris Tomlin's. He's a, he's a pastor. He's an author. And he, and he spoke for about 25 minutes about how big God is. And he, and he had all these pictures of all these different stars and, and everything. And he talked about how, how immense like the universe is. And so I'm just going to steal some stuff directly from his talk, um, just, just a couple things. But I encourage you, if you want to look more at it, it's, it, if you just search indescribable Louis Giglio, you can look at about a 40-minute talk about this. Um, and, and it really gives you a little bit more perspective on how big God is. But, um, but let, me just, let me just show you a picture here. I mean, he, he talks about how the, um, let me see if I, maybe it's not working. Maybe you can go to the next slide. There we go. Um, he ta- here's, here's a picture of the sun, right? And he talks about the, how the sun, a lot of us, we think of the sun, our kids draw the sun, you know. When we were little, we drew the sun as just this little yellow circle in the corner of a, of a page with a little smiley face. But the reality is that the sun is this intense, raging ball of fire, right? And uh, at the surface of the sun, it's uh, 10,000 degrees. It's insane how hot that is. It's, 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 it's way more exponentially hot at the center of the sun, but it's just this intense, raging ball of fire, and God made that. He spoke, and it came to be. And not only that, if you see, it, it has, you probably can't even see the little dot, but you can see it says earth right there. And that's how big the sun is compared to the earth, right? That's massive. And you know what? The sun is just one of, I, I think, billions of stars in the universe. And there are stars that are a hundred times bigger than the sun. There are stars that are a thousand times bigger than the sun. And David says, God, you made all those things. You're bigger than all those things. That's how big God is. That, 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 sort, of, that, that, that sort of information, just, just thinking about the, the, the immensity of the sun and the intensity of the sun leads us to understand just a little bit more about the, the amazing God that we worship. It should drive us to our knees. It should drive us to our face. That the sun is nothing to him. He put that in place. There's, there's a, a verse in, uh, in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 12, that talks about how the heavens, um, God measures the heavens with a span. And when it talks about the word span, it's talking about the distance between your pinky and your thumb. And so, like, all of the heavens, it, it, it kind of uses this idea that it, that it all fits in God's hand. That's how big he is. That is how big he is. We need to live our lives in light of the fact that this God that we worship is immense and powerful and intense. And he is great. He is worthy of our worship. That is one thing that this psalm does. It helps us to see the greatness of God. Um, and the bigness of God, that he's bigger than anything we can conceive. 
Um, but the psalm also helps us to measure ourselves accurately. It helps us to measure ourselves. It helps us to measure people, human beings. And that this is the thing. I think we need help measuring ourselves because we tend to have a mistaken understanding of just how big we are. Have you ever seen, I'm sure you've seen, um, people take pictures of their on vacation and uh, you know, they stand in front of like a famous you know, monument. Maybe they stand in front of the, of the Eiffel Tower or something. And they stand way in the foreground and then they, they, they position their hand just right so that the Eiffel Tower looks like it's about that big and it's the, in the palm of their hand. Have you ever seen those? Or maybe you've done one of those. Or maybe they just hold, they're holding the Eiffel Tower in their fingers. They use that, you know, the idea of forced perspective where they're way in the foreground and make themselves look huge. Um, and and it's, it's a cool trick to do. It's a cool picture. It makes for a cool picture. I, you know, if you haven't done it before, you should try it. Um, but the reality is, I think that is an illustration of the way that we all view ourselves, to be honest. We all have this perspective of ourselves um, where it's this kind of forced perspective. When we think about the world, when we think about other people, when we think about um, all sorts of things in, in the world and in our lives, we tend to think that we are in the foreground. We are huge. It's my opinions that matter more than anybody else. It's my problems that matter more than anybody else. It's my needs that matter more than anybody else. My desires, my wants are huge. And everybody should recognize that. Everybody should recognize who I am and what I do and what I've done and what I need. We have this sense of ourselves that is really, really big. But again, this psalm helps us to, it corrects that to a degree. And in, in verse 3, he says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, he says, what is man? What is man? As David looks at the greatness of the stars and the sky and the universe, as he thinks about all that God has made, he immediately says, what am I? I am so small. I'm tiny compared to you and all that you've made. I'm so small. I'm so insignificant. You know, what is man? Again, I'm, I'm going to show you guys another picture here. This is, a, I guess, it's a famous picture. I don't know how many of you guys are familiar with it, but it was taken in 1990 by uh, the Voyager 1 space probe. And um, it was taken, I guess, it was uh, as, as, the, as the Voyager 1 was maybe leaving our, our, um, uh, our solar system they directed it to turn around and take a picture back towards Earth. And so they took this picture, and it doesn't really seem like much, right? That there's just these, uh, these bands maybe of sunlight that are reflecting off of it. Um, but then the, if, if you're really looking closely, it looks like there's maybe just like a piece of dust or something on there. Maybe you can't even see it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to zoom in a little bit more. And in one of the bands of sunlight, there's this little teeny tiny blue dot. That is the Earth. That is the Earth right there from basically 3.7 billion miles away, I think it is. Almost 4 billion miles away, that's, that's the Earth. And one astronomer, um, I'll, I'll zoom back out here, one astronomer said, um, he, he's like, you know, every human being who has ever lived has lived their life on that little tiny pale blue dot. That's how small we are. <laughs> That's how small we are. Um, and, and if that doesn't humble you, I don't know what does. You know, as we think about the greatness and the bigness of God, and yet we are so tiny 
we are so tiny. Um, and yet I tend to think that I'm so important. <laughs> and yet I'm just one of, of so many. You know, you can't even, you can, you can hardly even see the blue dot. Think of how small I am, right? Um, that is how small we are. That is how small we are. However, at the same time, we aren't only encouraged to see ourselves as incredibly small here by Psalm 8, but, but I think David also reminds us that we're bigger than we realize, that we have a role that is incredibly big and significant. As small as we are, we play a role that is incredibly big and significant. If you look down in verses 5 through 8, what does he say about man? What does he say about human beings? He says, Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. David says, you know, I, what am I? I'm nothing, and yet... You have made me. You have given me this role. You have crowned me with glory and honor. He, he, he alludes back to Genesis when God made all things. He made all things and he made, he made all of creation and he made all created beings. And then at the end, the crowning moment of creation, what did God do? He made people. He made people. And all along he was saying, it's good, it's good, it's good. But then when he makes people, he's like, it's very good. It's very good. Why? Because people are distinct. You and I are distinct from the rest of creation. In Genesis 1, 26 to 28, it talks about how God made man and women in his image. He made us in his image. And so even though we are incredibly tiny, we are made in the image of God himself, this, this huge, immense being who has created everything, who rules over everything. He made us to be in his image. What does that mean? What does that mean? And there have been people who have debated, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? All sorts of people debate, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? There are some people who say, we're made in the image of God. What that means is that we share certain characteristics with God. You know, we, we have a sense of morality and we are creative and we can build things and we can reason and we can think. Other people say we, we're made in the image of God in the sense that that we are able to relate, we're personal beings. And like God is a personal being, we can relate to him and we can relate to one another and have relationships. And other people have said, no, the, the image of God is about how um, he made us to represent him and his rule and his authority in this world. And, and in those days, maybe if a king would conquer another land, what he would do is he would set up a statue of himself, a likeness of himself in that place to remind the people that, that he really ruled there. And so in a sense, we are all kind of little, little tiny representations of him that, that remind the world that he's in charge. And uh, I, I would say, I, I agree with uh, my seminary professor, his name's Jack Collins, he's an uh, Old Testament scholar. He, he says, uh, he thinks that it's all three, and I totally agree. That, that to be in, made in the image of God means that he made us to re reflect him, to represent him, to rule over everything he has made. And he has made us uniquely to be able to do that by giving us characteristics that we share with him. All those things that we know what is right and what is wrong, that, that we're able to relate to people, to one another, that we're creative, we can build things and cultivate things. That's what we're called to be. 
We're called to, to live our lives as God's representatives, reflecting who he is in all that we do. We're called to do it in a way that God would do it, in a sense. You know, when we think about our work, whatever work it is that you do, um, there's a vast variety of different work represented of different people that do different work here in this room. And, and whatever, you, whatever it is you do, God calls you to do it as his representative, to do it for him, to do it as he would do it. Um, as you relate to people around you, he calls you to care for them as he would care for them, to speak the words to them that he would want spoken to them. No pressure. No pressure. He calls us to represent him, to reflect him, to be his little reminders to all of creation, to everyone around us, of who he is, of the fact that he rules. He's given, this, given us this task of, of having dominion, of ruling over all of creation. As we think about how we take care of the world, of the creation that he has made, we are called to take care of it as he would want it taken care of, to use it as he would want it used. We are called to represent him. And so that gives us a, a, that's a significant role. That's a big role to play for people so small as us, right? That's really amazing. There's one other thing that we need to notice about the size of here in this passage, and it's, it's the size of the name of God. And when I say the name of God, we need to measure the name of God. I, I'm not talking about there's some place where God's name is kind of on the side of the hill like a Hollywood sign, and it's really big. No, um, I'm talking about what his name means, what it represents. I mean, in one sense, when you talk, when you hear in the Psalms, it talks about the name of God, or in the Old Testament, it talks about the name of God. The name of, of somebody represents them. So when he says, oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, he's really saying, you know, you're majestic, God. You're impressive. You're beautiful. You're glorious, right? But I think Actually, the very first verse and the last verse, it says the same thing. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When he says name, I think he's literally talking about God's name here. Why? Because he uses God's name in both places. Um, if you're looking at your Bible or if you're looking at the, the order of worship, do you notice something different about the first Lord and the second Lord there? The first Lord is in all capital letters, right? I've mentioned this before when I've, when I've preached from the Psalms, but this happens a lot, and we'll probably mention it again. But, but in the Old Testament, when, when the, the translators use the word Lord in all capital letters, they're very specifically translating a specific name. It's the name Yahweh. It's the name Yahweh. And, uh, and so the first, it, it says, O Yahweh, our Lord, or the, the second word is Master, um, so he, he's saying, Yahweh, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now, the, what, is the, what does the word Yahweh make reference to? What, what does it mean? Why is it important? Well, um, the name Yahweh comes from uh, the book of Exodus when God appears to Moses. And God appears to Moses in Exodus 3, and he says, Moses, I've heard my people, they're slaves in Egypt, I want you to go to Egypt, and I want you to bring them out. I want you to rescue them. I want you to lead them out for me. 
and Moses is, you know, giving him all sorts of pushback, you know, I, 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 I'm not the right guy, you know, I don't have the words to say, all sorts of things. And in, in the midst of that whole conversation, eventually Moses is like, well, who should I say sent, sent me? You know, when, when they ask me who sent me, what am I going to say to him? You know, and this is when God reveals his name to Moses. And, uh, and it's something very similar to Yahweh, and, and, and it's this, this Hebrew that means, I am who I am. Or it can also be translated, I will be who I will be. And, and that name has all sorts of meaning. You know, when, when God says, I am who I am, one of the things that he's saying to Moses and to everybody who hears that name is, no one tells me who I am. I am who I am. No one controls me. No one is greater than me. No one manipulates me. I do exactly what I want. I am who I am. But it also says, you know, basically he's saying, there is no one bigger than me. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. But also, when he says, I am who I am, I will be who I, I will be, it's also a message of love to Moses and to the people of Israel. He says, he's saying, I am. I am. I am present. I am real. I am with you. I am here to rescue you. I will be with you no matter what. No matter what it's going to cost me, this name is very, very intimately connected with the idea of God's covenant with his people. It's God's covenantal name that he gives to his people to say, I am and I will be your God, no matter what. No matter what, no matter what it costs me, I will be your God. I will love you. I will rescue you. No matter how you have failed me and no matter how you will fail me, I will love you. That's what this name means. This name is a, is a reference to the greatness of God, but it's also a reference to the greatness of his grace and his love. O Lord, Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Your name is beautiful because it means I am loved. It means that you are big and no matter how small I am, you still care about me. You love me. And that's what David says here, doesn't he? In verse 4, he says, What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. Even David recognizes this. I'm small, but I know you care about me. You think about me. You love me. The name of God, this name, Yahweh, this, this idea that God is great, and yet he has lowered himself to love us this way, that should become bigger to us than anything else. That should become bigger to us than anything else. That should shape how we feel. It should shape how we respond to life. It should shape how we live. This is what needs to become greater to us than anything else, that God is committed to love us and to be our God, that God is committed to be with us no matter what. He is, and there is no other. And at the same time, he is our God, and he cares about us. David mentions it here, right? But then the writer of Hebrews makes reference to this passage that we read earlier, Hebrews 2, where he, in, in Hebrews, he talks about how, um, you know, God has made everything to, to, to uh, God has made people to have dominion, and yet we don't see everything. Um, subjected to people, right? It's all a mess. There's so much mess. But 
we do see Jesus. We do see Jesus. And, and he's saying, as, as these words in Psalm 8 refer to, to people and our role as those who rule over creation, as those who live perfectly obedient to God, who reflect him perfectly, when we think about Psalm 8 and, and ourselves, we, we think only of, of imperfection and failure. But when we look at Jesus, we see perfect obedience. And ultimately, what we see, Jesus is crowned with glory and honor, not only because of his perfect obedience, but because of his suffering. Because he was willing to come and to die for us. To come and to die because of this name, because of God's grace, because of God's commitment to love us no matter what. Right? Even Jesus said something similar to this name when, you know, the people confronted him and he says, I am. He refers to himself as I am, right? I am, meaning I am God, but also I think meaning I've come to rescue you. That is what needs, that, that, that news, that, that name needs to become bigger to us than anything else. To move us to worship, to move us to surrender, to move us to love him. But the bottom line is that this psalm is urging us to get things in the right proportion. Get, uh, it's urging us to get things in the right proportion, to see what is truly the biggest thing in life? The biggest thing in life is God. To see that we truly are, to, to help us to understand that as we approach him, as we approach life, we need to be people who are humble, but also to realize this incredible privilege that he gives us to represent him and the lives of the people around us and, and the world around us. We need to get the proportions right. Um, and when we get the proportions right, it's only then that we begin to appreciate the majesty and beauty of life itself. Um, I think this is true of, of art. Proportion is so true in, in the art world. When, uh, when our kids are, are little, we, our youngest, David, you know, he draws a lot of pictures. He's, uh, he's seven now. And uh, in the last few years, he, he's often dr drawn pictures for us. And he, he will draw a picture for me, and he'll hand it to me. He's like, I drew a picture for you. And I'm looking at it, and I'm like, this is awesome. What is it? <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's, he's like, it's, it's you and it's me, you know? We're standing there together. And, uh, and you know, it's, it's when he draws, when, when like a five-year-old draws a portrait of somebody, it's basically a big kind of misshapen circle is the head. And then there's like little like sticks coming out of the head and out of the head like for arms and legs, you know? There's no sense of proportion whatsoever. And it's, it's really hard to really get an idea of any kind of, semblance um, um and, but as they as they get older you know um uh, david's oldest brother adrian um is he's a really good artist and he loves to draw and and like he'll draw some stuff now that i'm like actually that really looks like a person that's amazing that's really cool that's that's incredible you know as as things become more proportionate as you draw them as you paint them they become more beautiful i would say um I think this, this is true about the mo most important things in life, the, the, the greatness of God as we understand how big he is, as we understand how small we are and yet how loved we are. When we get the proportions right, life begins to get more and more beautiful and spectacular. And so I urge us to listen to Psalm 8. And that, that we might get the proportions right, that we might actually live lives that reflect God the way that we were meant to, and that enjoy him the way that we were meant to. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for these words, and we pray that you would lift our eyes 
lift our eyes to the heavens, to all of creation, that we would see your handiwork, that we would see in it your power and your creativity and your beauty and your love, and we would be moved to worship you. We would be moved to praise you. Father, we pray that you would also humble us. Help us to truly see in comparison how small we are to you. Um, But at the same time, help us to understand just how great your love is, how big your love is for us. That we would love, as we sang earlier, that we would love to shout your name, Yahweh, because it means, because it means something. It means that you have committed yourself to us to be our God. And Father, we pray that we would honor you with the with the things that we say today, with the things that we pursue, with the things that we want and long for, with the way that we treat others. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We now have an opportunity to meet Jesus at the Lord's table, um, to be reminded of the greatness of his love.